Matthew chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. The primary interpretation of these verses is to the Christian, I believe, regarding personal discipline. They can have application to salvation in terms of eternal destinations, but they're really for saved disciples to gauge a level of personal and spiritual discipline. Uh, Jesus is talking really to his disciples about kingdom living. The gate of Christian discipleship is narrow and the way is difficult, but those who faithfully follow Jesus' teachings find the abundant life that he's promised uh, both now and in the future. On the other hand, there's a wide gate, and that would represent a life uh, more of indulgence and uh, pleasure, but you know, not that we can't enjoy things, but, but uh, a, a, uh, a, pre- a preference for indulgence and pleasure rather than discipleship. The end of such a life is destruction. It's not a discussion really of losing your soul, but of a failure to live out the purpose of one's existence. And all you have to do is look at uh, any one of a number of backslidden Christians that you might know uh, who at some point got pulled back into the world, uh, you know, left off some of the Christian disciplines, quit coming to church, quit uh, reading the word, those kinds of things. And, And oftentimes there is a destruction that's brought into a family. Uh, you know they're still saved. They love the Lord, but uh, it, it, they uh, have hurt one another, uh, and, and they deal with some things that that they wish they hadn't gotten involved. With. <coughs> saved by grace through faith, we sometimes think discipline is a dirty word. Sounds too much like works or legalism, and so we shy away from it. But it's not that at all. It's an essential part of growing in grace. Uh, it's really a matter of your motivation. Uh, as to whether it's going to be legalism or something uh, far more profound. Kent Hughes writes, and he says, legalism is self-centered, discipline is God-centered. The legalistic heart says, I will do this thing to gain merit with God. The disciplined heart says, I will do this thing because I love God and want to please him. And so it has to do with our motivation. If, if we're disciplining ourselves in, in spiritual ways, because we feel we we must uh, as a burden that's going to be uh, that's going to come through and there's going to be a bitterness <clears throat> the discipline we're talking about is something that we desire to do so that we can please our heavenly father the writer to the hebrews explained it like this he said in hebrews 12:1 since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Uh, a world of teaching really in that verse, uh, the great cloud of witnesses, probably just a reference to Christians that have gone before us, who have lived the Christian life. You know, it, it, you look and you think, well, it is possible to get to the end of the race because a lot of folks have done it. Uh, it's possible to lay aside weights, anything that would, would weigh us down. And then he says, sin easily ensnares us. And I think that's something that we need to be refreshed. And, you know, sometimes I think if you've been a Christian for a long time, especially you think you're mature and in some ways you are. uh, But uh, this writer says sin will easily ensnare you if you're not uh, careful. And and so all the more we need to keep our guard up 
and uh, discipline ourselves and run the race. And it's a, uh, it's really, you know, sometimes it's called a marathon, but it's really a long distance race. You know, long distance running is a, is a, a whole different thing. You know, it's, it's not just a 21 hours or 21 miles. I mean, it's day after day after day, you know, getting up and, and continuing on that path. The Apostle Paul frequently used sports analogies. He could have been an ESPN anchorman in his day, I think, probably. But yeah, he spoke of himself as a disciplined runner who was committed to finishing the race, and he spoke of himself as a disciplined boxer who kept himself in shape. In 1 Corinthians 9, he says, Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. They do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. It's baseball season. I've been getting amped up about baseball because we're in the second half. And my angels were doing well, but now they're, I think they're 4 and 11 after, or no, 4 and 7 after the All-Star break. And... Uh, I get little text messages on my phone every night to tell me the angel score, and it hasn't been good after the break. But uh, we can use ballplayers as examples. Uh, you know the all-time home run record is on the line. Ruth held it for decades. Aaron broke it. Bonds is going to break it. Uh, think about those three men for a moment, starting with Babe Ruth. If stories about him are true, you might get the feeling that natural talent is all you need and that discipline can be abandoned. Joking about his legendary indulgences, once he said to a waiter at dinner, when asked what he would like, he said, give me four steaks, a dozen eggs, a pound of bacon, three kegs of beer, 15 potatoes, 18 women, seven cigars, and a dish of chocolate ice cream. And uh, so he's kind of perpetuating that image of the overindulgent Bambino. Uh, and that's his reputation. That's, what, that's all I've heard for years, you know, that he'd eat seven or eight hot dogs during the course of a game while he was sitting on the bench and that kind of thing. That's how Nathan's hot dog contest got started. Is that right? Yeah. But there's more to the story. Yeah, it was originally called, it was originally called George's Con... Yeah. But there's more to the story. I found this. Now, I'm going to read. This is kind of a lengthy quote. It's out of a parade magazine. Uh it says, Babe Ruth was only 30 years old in the spring of 1925, and his body was failing him. That baseball season was one of the worst of his career. There was talk that he might be finished. The well-known truth was that Babe had failed his body with too much of everything, too much food, alcohol, and fast living. It all caught up with him that year. He collapsed, suffered a series of convulsions, and was operated on for an intestinal problem. Uh, George Herman Ruth, the man, was a mess. Uh, Babe did something that ballplayers of his time did not do, found his way to a gymnasium in New York City. Artie McGovern and his Madison Avenue gym specialized in working with the famous and wealthy. Artie stated that Ruth was as near to being a total loss as any patient I've ever had under my care. He weighed 254 pounds, his digestive system was a wreck, his muscles were soft and flabby. You're flabby. The slightest exertion caused him to be short of breath, and even his vision was affected. Artie preached discipline and a new way of living, exercise, and a healthy diet. Amazingly, Babe Ruth listened and followed this new regime. You can be sure that it was not easy for him. In six weeks, his body's decline was halted and reversed. He lost 44 pounds. When training for the 1926 season began, Babe Ruth was tan, healthy, and filled with optimism, and everyone noticed. 
He spent every winter for the rest of his playing career training with Artie McGovern. Went on to be the record-breaking Babe Ruth that we know of and love today. So, uh, little known fact about the Bambino. Even natural talent only carries you so far without discipline. Then there's Barry Bonds. He will forever be tainted by accusations of steroid use. I was watching the news this morning. There's another story out today that accuses him uh, and Gary Sheffield. There's a guy who says that he knows for sure that both of those guys have used uh, steroids. Use of performing enhancing drugs and substances is cheating discipline by taking shortcuts. You might achieve great things, but the cost in the end is terrible, as you know. Then there's Henry Aaron, who quietly went about his business combining talent with discipline to leave a solid legacy in his profession. So, how disciplined are we? That since uh, you know discipline is part of the Christian life, Jesus is talking about the benefits of discipline. We see it in every area. I think we're great at passive discipline. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day, even in my own life. For example, and, and you might disagree with this, but uh, Bible reading and Bible studies are example of what I would call passive discipline. Incredibly important that we study the Bible for ourselves and hear it taught, and it causes us to grow in our faith. By calling it passive, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with it or that we shouldn't do it. But as far as discipline, it's not that tough to read uh, or to sit and listen to a study. I mean, there's a certain discipline to say, hey, I want to get up and read my Bible, you know, have my Bible handy or go to a Bible study or flip on the radio and get off the oldie station or the baseball channel, you know, and listen to a Bible study. But, but it's kind of a passive discipline. You know, a lot of us like to read anyway, and, and um, you know, we, we, we don't, we're used to sitting in lecture-style uh, situations. Sadly, many people are getting lazy even in the passive disciplines. Uh, a lot of churches, uh, if you read the literature, they're more interested in making everything as comfortable as possible for people. Uh, because otherwise you'll lose people to the church next door that has more comfortable seating or a larger nursery or some some new comfort item that, that makes people feel more welcome. I'm not saying we want to make church uncomfortable. You know, take out all the chairs and make people stand or sit on broken glass or something, you know, like to prove that they really love the Lord. And sometimes some of the Calvaries are famous for this. I mean, the, the pastors almost, you know, they, they it's like, you know, hey, we're teaching the word, you know, we don't have any fluff or anything like that. And you, if you really love the word, you're, you're going to come here. Well, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a comfortable seat and air conditioning and lighting that's proper and, you know, and, and having a, a good, decent message that has some pop to it. Uh, but even passive disciplines <clears throat> are not as uh, important to people anymore. Now, Jesus described some of the more active disciplines earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about what? Giving and fasting and praying. Those are going to produce more spiritual sweat uh, in our lives. They cost me something. They require real sacrifice, and I must battle my flesh to exercise them. So that's what I'm talking about. Those are more active disciplines. You know, for some people, tough to read, and I, I'm not trying to take that away from anybody. I mean, if, if Bible reading is a real... Uh, you know, struggle for somebody, and maybe that is an active discipline for them. But I do think that there are these other disciplines of giving and fasting and praying, and and they they're the kind of discipline that cost me something. 
uh, it, you know, I have to really actively engage myself and deny my flesh to exercise them. And so we want to be spiritual athletes at the top of our game. And so we, we need to think about all the various spiritual disciplines. You know, normally when, when a person becomes a Christian, we tell them that there are four things that they ought to do if they want to grow. Uh, they, they need to read the word. They need to pray. They need to f- go to church, fellowship, you know, get hooked up with a body of believers, and they need to share their faith uh, with others. And so those are four disciplines. To that, Jesus would add giving and fasting uh, as disciplines. And, and so those, those six, at least, are, you know, whether active or passive, those are things that, that we need to be in the spiritual gymnasium uh, dealing with in, in terms of, of, of get, keeping ourselves ready and being in top shape so that we're running the race with patience, getting to the finish line, as Paul said. Uh, and since it is a long-distance race, it's every day we wake up. It's kind of like the Tour de France, only it never ends. You know, every day you wake up and there's another leg to the race. And, and you, want to get, you want to get to the end of the, the finish line each day and then get ready for the next leg of the race. Only as far as we're concerned, the race never ends until the Lord takes us home, uh, either in death or in the rapture. And so these are things that we want to keep going in our life. And we could probably add other disciplines uh, as well. Now, as I said, these verses can also have an application to the gospel by, uh, by depicting the two roads as destinies of people, and that's usually the way we use them. The wide gate and the broad way lead to destruction. Uh, the, those would be uh, you know, the path that everyone's on before they come to know Christ, the path we're born on, really, uh, as, as sinners. And then the narrow gate and the difficult way are those that lead to life knowing Christ, finding Christ, knowing Christ, and walking with Christ. Of course, Jesus is the gate in John 10. He's the way in John 14. People always want to object to Jesus being the exclusive way to God. It's really important to people that there are many ways to God, not just one. Uh, uh, That's why other religions could, on paper at least, tolerate one another and not tolerate biblical Christianity. One thing I do like about the fact that biblical Christianity is always, uh, you know, pushed out, persecuted, uh, you know, where other things are tolerated, is that people seem to recognize that we are saying we're the way, you know, and 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 people it offends people. And the cross, you know, we don't mean to offend people, but the cross is an offense to people because because of that. It says Jesus died for you. You should have died. This is the only way whatever else you're doing is not going to cut it for you. And so that's why they, they don't want to have anything to do with biblical Christians. So it shouldn't surprise us that, you know, they, whether it's the public, you know, in the public domain that they would think Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism and all this fine and that they would, you know, push out Christianity because we are the, we're the ones that are exclusive. And we hopefully do it in love and with grace, you know, because we care for people. Um, you know, we're the people passing out parachutes while the plane is going down and everybody else is saying that the plane is not going down uh, or if it goes down, it'll become an amphibious aircraft, you know, or something like that. And so, you know, we're, we're the ones that are uh, telling them the truth, but that's why. John Corson has this quote I liked. He says, you're going to hear over and over again that spirituality is a journey up a holy mountain. And no matter which route you take, when you get to the top, you'll find God. So just wander wherever you feel inclined and embrace the other pilgrims on their paths. Don't try to convert them, for every route leads to the top of the mountain, 
and they will find God just as you will. Bunk. The analogy. <laughs> Bunk's a good word. Bunk is a word that's not used enough. The analogy is all wrong. You see, it's not any mountain upon which God sits and man meanders. It is a sheer face, a stone where there are no handholds and no toeholds, a rock that is insurmountable and unclimbable. And, and so that's our message. You know, uh, I think everybody kind of has that picture that, you know, that spirituality is an ascent until you get to God. And, and God says, there's no getting to me by climbing. There's no effort that you can put into it. There's, and in our analogy, there, there's just no toeholds. There's no way to get up that mountain, even with gear. You're just not going to make it. Uh, and maybe this analogy will help put it all together. Jesus is the narrow gate you enter or entered to receive eternal life. Once you're on that path, I think you find yourself walking against everyone who remains on the broad way. I mean, to repent means to turn around. And in a sense, if you stay in this analogy, now you're going the wrong way. Uh, well, you're going the right way, but you're going against everybody else. And so going against that flow, it's like an obstacle course that you must navigate in order to get through to your rewards. You'll need agility and awareness and all those kinds of things in order to safely dodge oncoming obstacles. Uh, it's, it's like those chase scenes in the movie. You know, every decent movie, action movie, has a chase scene where the car's going the wrong way on the freeway, you know, and, and you're going up on the curb. And, but you do, you have to dodge obstacles, uh, and, and that's what the Christian life is. You've seen that shirt. The, you know, where the one Christian fish is going against the flow of all the other fish. And, and that's kind of what Jesus says, is once you enter this narrow gate of salvation, you are turned around and are going a different way. And you want to bring people with you, but there are different obstacles in your way. Sometimes people, sometimes things, sinful things, doors that want to open other pathways and such. Uh, and so you're going to, you know, to keep it with an athletic analogy, you're going to need agility and awareness to, to dodge those things that are coming your way, some faster, some slower, some more subtle, some more obvious. Uh, so let's keep ourselves in top spiritual condition by practicing the spiritual disciplines that Jesus and the other writers talk about.